You guys know that in the last couple of weeks we've talked about what's going on in the news in Africa. We're talking about poverty. We're talking about corruption. You guys know that the issues we've been dealing with have very much to do with what we can do as Christians to cure some of these problems. There's a lot of people making a lot of different uh, contributions to what their solution might be. I think our contribution is going to be getting our house in order, in other words, financially, to learn to be better stewards in the kingdom. Next slide. This is going to be our fundraiser that we're working on. We saw Invisible Children. Some of you did not. How many people have not seen it? Anybody not seen it? Okay. What we're going to do just for a second is show you the trailer so you can catch up with us. Uh, it's about an hour-long movie. We're not going to watch the whole movie again, but basically what it is, it's the plight of refugees that are in Uganda because of the genocide going on in Sudan. Children that are living basically in mass cities of nothing but children orphans who are begging and looking for food every day, trying not to be kidnapped, to be forced into uh, the war and trying just to stay out of trouble. So three students from America went and made a documentary about it and brought back uh, the plight of these children. And this movie has been going around different campuses and we decided to adopt it as one of our projects too after seeing the movie. The movie is very moving. You'll get a chance to see it later on because we're gonna be showing it during our fundraiser and probably in our prep time before it. But Anthony, if we could, let's just uh, watch the trailer just to get people a little bit caught up uh, for two minutes on that. We're walking through this series that's going to take us the better part of six weeks because, like I said, I think a better discipline would be to learn how to use our money. Jump to the next slide if you could, Anthony. Let's take a look at this. These are the top three reasons that I proposed to you last week that we should study money. Remember, I always want you to know why we're doing what we're doing and why we're spending all this time. Here are the top three reasons. We decided that money has a, is a kind of like a spiritual litmus test. Jesus said it shows us the true nature of our hearts. Where our heart is, really, that's where you're going to see us spending money or vice versa. It's a very important principle, very important topic in Jesus' ministry. And finally, we looked at the whole subject of the number of verses in the Bible, just how much information there is about money, and it seems to be a topic that we ignore in the church, so we need to bring it up. That's our job. Talk about the things that don't get talked about. Next slide. Here's the principle that I showed you about getting excited about some sort of idea. Here's what Christians tend to do. We're going to have a fundraiser. In a few moments, I hope some of you guys will volunteer to be on our team to do the Invisible Children fundraiser team. We pretended last week that we're going to pack the sanctuary with 400 people and that they're all going to come in and give the average of what Americans give to world missions and poverty relief every year. The average is 25 bucks. So let's just pretend that we packed this place with 400 people. They all gave their 25 bucks. We'd raise $10,000 for missions. That's not bad. I also told you that if they gave 100, we'd raise $40,000. Sounds good. We could pat ourselves on the back and tell ourselves we're good Christians. I think that's not good enough. On the next slide, what we've showed is that if you 20 people in this room learned how to live the life that Jesus commanded us to live and give and save and get out of debt and just give $100 a month to an investment going to world relief, by the end of that life of your productive work life, you would have raised $7.5 million, which is way more than the small impact we can make. Now look, hear me on this. I'm not saying it's wrong for us to have a fundraiser. I'm not saying it's wrong for us to give. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't prompt our hearts sometimes and say, hey, reach into your wallet right now and give everything you have in there. The sad truth, though, is for most of us, that wouldn't be very much right now. If the Holy Spirit walked in this room and said, I'm taking a collection, everybody reach into your pocket, what would we collect? 100 bucks? 120 bucks? Because most of us don't know how to manage our money the way Jesus commanded us to. And that's where this series is a little bit hard-hitting. It hits close to home. We could be all emotional. It's good. But we could also be disciplined and we could learn how to use money correctly and it's better. 
The number that's not up there that we threw up last week is if you take that 7% and move it up closer to 10%, if you actually knew how to invest your money wisely, you'd actually earn $12.5 million for debt relief or for poverty relief or for anything you wanted. You could just give it away to give Bibles away at the end of your life, whatever you wanted to do. And that's just on $100 a month. Now, most of us think there's no way I could come up with $100 a month. That's because you're living wrong. I'm living wrong. In America, we don't know how to handle money. And if you go to school like I did and studied business finance, you'll learn even worse how to handle money because you'll learn the American dream, not God's dream. God had a totally different way of handling money. And it's really hard to get good advice because if you go to a place like, let's say you just walk into Barnes and Noble and you go to the section that says like, you know, money. There's going to be a hundred get-rich-quick schemes. There's going to be a lot of books about how you can become a millionaire in this many steps. There's going to be a lot of books that tell you how you can borrow this and borrow that and leverage yourself and do all these things and flip it over and do all these things, but there's going to be very few books that are going to tell you what God wants you to do with your money. That's what I'm hoping we're doing. One more slide. Here's what we are going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about debt and budgeting. It's not exactly the most exciting biblical topic, but I think we need it. Next week, we're going to talk about savings and investment never talked about in church. The week after, we're going to talk about how to actually make money. And it's not going to be a get-rich-quick scheme, all right? And we're not going to be selling, like, whatever it is, Amway on the internet or any of that stuff, all right? What we're going to be doing is just telling you that you have a duty that God commands us to learn to make money for the kingdom. And then the next part is to give it away and how to do that. Finally, on November 13th, we're going to talk about materialism and poverty. They're very connected. The materialism that we live in leads to much of the poverty in the rest of the world, but if it doesn't, at least prevents us from curing it. All right, tonight's topic, debt and budgeting. You notice there's a little lock around the credit card, kind of like the sign of bondage. That's kind of the theme tonight. Now, I know we're going to talk about a lot of math, but just because we are a church body, we are going to read some scripture together first. But just forgive me, please, for all the math that we're going to have to do tonight. I'm rewarding you now with some scripture to kind of like ease it up a little bit, all right? Little morsels here of scripture, okay? Look, some topics are easier to read out of scripture than others. These are, you know, these are not easy, so forgive me. There are some things that we just have to hit straight on, but here is some scripture. Romans 13.8. Here is what scripture says. Romans 13.8. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. No debt remain outstanding. That's the opposite of American view on finance. American view on finance is okay to have a trillion dollar deficit. That's just normal for a country. It's okay for you to live in debt your whole life. Have it now, pay for it later. That's normal. Scripture says, let no debt remain outstanding. Proverbs 22.7, from the wisest man who ever walked the earth, except for Jesus. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Other scriptures say slave to the lender. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. In other words, you're putting yourself in bondage when you borrow. Next slide. 1 Corinthians 7, 23 and 24. This is Paul speaking to us saying, You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him to. Remain in the situation God called him to means if you were born free, remain free. You were bought at a price. You were freed. Remain free. Here's what the bottom line, here's what this means. God made the ultimate sacrifice by giving his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for us. He now wants his children to remain free to serve him in whatever way he chooses. Debt is a form of bondage that works against the Father's will. It's pretty simple. You guys know the concept. God might call you to do something. If you're riddled or 
tied down or burdened by debt, you can't do it. Money is the thing that rules our lives, or God, you have a choice. And if it's debt, it's always going to be money, because you cannot escape and walk away from the bondage that you're already in. God may call you and say, you know what I'm ready for you to do? I'm ready for you to pick up, move, quit your job, move over here. And you're like, wait a minute, but I owe this and I owe that. It's like, well, now you can't really follow what he wants us to do. You know, this should be bothering most of us because that's not the way we were brought up. Most of us are brought up, even in Christian homes, with families who routinely borrow money. And it's okay. But this scripture is saying it's not okay. Here is one of the reasons that debt is so harmful. Debt presumes upon tomorrow, and we have no right to do that. James says the following, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this and that. Those are powerful words because that's what debt is all about. When you take on debt, isn't it how it works? You say like, hey, you can have the stuff today, you can pay for it later. And what are you presuming? You're presuming that tomorrow you'll be here, you'll have the same job, you'll be making the same money, and that you'll pay it off somehow. And James says, who are you to even presume that? You're making presumptions that you have no authority to make. God is the only one that knows where you should be tomorrow. And you're making a presumption that you'll be in your job, making your money, doing whatever you're supposed to do. Now, personally, I don't like these words because I was brought up all wrong on money. So for me to stand here and tell you these things is kind of awkward because I've lived most of my life with a totally screwed up view of money. And then the times that I was giving, it was like, okay, you can have the 10% if it really is 10%. Is it before taxes or after taxes? I mean, I don't really get the money before tax. All right, you can have this much. And then I felt good like I was giving what I should be giving. But notice in our talks, we're not talking about giving yet. Giving is a small part of our money talk. There's all these other things that we're talking about that I ignored that are totally scriptural. Debt being one of them. Okay, maybe this is a little harsh. Let's go to the next slide and look at maybe some debt that is permissible. Here's a good question that you should be asking. Is like no debt permissible? Well, I think there's some debt that is permissible and it's probably even biblical. Okay. You might want to ask yourself, like, we're going to look in a moment at what is permissible or not, but ask yourself this test. Look at this test. Is the item that I'm purchasing an asset? Okay, make sure it's an asset. What that means is something that's capable of resale and also can appreciate in value or produces some sort of income. Is it an asset? Like maybe a house? You buy a house and it can actually probably either produce income for you or it can appreciate in value and become an investment of some kind. Is it an asset? Or are you just buying something that's going to depreciate in value? Under this test, for example, maybe buying a car that's beyond your means might not qualify as an asset. That's not saying you can't buy a car. It just means that if you're going into debt to buy the car, maybe that's not right because you can't sell it and recover what you put into it. It probably has depreciated so much in value the moment you drove it off the lot. 50-year averages are what they use to figure out if something is an asset or not. From World War II until now, property has trended upward no matter what the scale is. I mean, it goes down every once in a while, but it goes up. And it, you know, I mean, if you can imagine what a house costs in World War II and what it costs today, just think about that. Okay, you could have bought a house in World War II, like after World War II, you know, for 5,000, 10,000 bucks. I mean, even in the 70s, my parents sold their home for 32,000 bucks. I mean, is that possible? Stock market 
even though some people think of speculation is actually an asset over 50 years, it trends upward 12% on average for 50 years. Okay. Now that doesn't mean you like arbitrage and day trade. It means that you find a well-balanced mutual fund, put some money into it. And over a long period of time, it will absolutely go up. But you have to evaluate that. If you're buying gold because you think gold is an asset, I mean, I don't know why anybody would be borrowing money to buy gold because most people, unless you're doing that, I mean, maybe to wear it, probably not an asset. Okay. Could be. Could be. So you can have your diamond necklace or your diamond earrings, Angela, if you want. Number two, the value of the item equal or exceeds the amount owed against it. In other words, make sure that you can get rid of it and pay off the debt as part of it or that it's appreciating or doing something, okay? If you're paying an exorbitant price for it and borrowing, that's a problem. And third, look at how it strains your debt load because if you are strained, you are back to being a slave, even if it's an asset that's worth buying. Okay, now those are just some general guidelines. Here is some examples of what I consider permissible debt and what I consider probably bad debt. First of all, home mortgage, I think is probably generally accepted as okay. Now listen, it didn't say good debt. I never wrote good debt. I did that on purpose. I said permissible debt. Most of us know we have no prayer in living this state without having a mortgage of some kind. But even that, I'm gonna show you in a moment, there's ways to get out of, but I want you to show that that's probably at least you're buying an asset that's gonna appreciate, you're providing for your family, okay, you have a mortgage. Student loan, many of you guys are in college, it costs a lot of money, student loans are probably permissible, but let me, I put an asterisk next to it for this reason. Some of us are going to pretty expensive schools, and they're good schools, and I did the same thing. But I know friends of mine that when I was in law school, they wanted to do public interest law. They wanted to do pro bono work. They wanted to give their time away and they couldn't do it because by the time we were done graduating from Pepperdine with a debt of $150,000, they had to work at a major firm and make lots of money. And then they were trapped because they made a lot of money. They spent a lot of money. They made a lot of money. They spent a lot of money. They were repaying their debt. And by the time they got out of it, there was no way they were going to go work for a few dollars an hour doing public interest law. It's over. And the school wrestled with it. We're a Christian university. We're trying to graduate lawyers who are going to do good work. And yet we burden them with debt. Is there a scholarship we can come up with to at least reward some of them and get them into the public interest work? And they're still trying to do it. Some of you go to APU or some other really expensive school. I'm not saying it's bad. It's a good education. The more I learn about that school, the more I'm liking it. But if you want to go into the ministry, it might be hard if you graduate with $90,000 in debt. It's not impossible. God can do anything he wants. But it's harder, don't you agree, than if you had no debt coming out of school? Now, I don't know how you do that. I know that it's impossible because I came out of school with debt and I got scholarships up the wazoo and I still came out of school with debt because scholarships, no matter how much they give you, aren't going to cover everything you incur in school. And it took me a long time to pay off my student loans. And I was working at a good salary. It's just something to think about that I want you guys to put, since you're in this place right now, that you might think, ah, you know what, it's all student loans, it's good for my education. I totally agree. I'm a big believer in education. But if it prevents you from doing what God is calling you to do, ask God if there's another way. He might surprise you. Investment debt is permissible, not good. Some people borrow money to make investments that yield a lot of money. Even in the parable of the talents, the servants got money from the master and invested it for him. So it is permissible at times, but don't be a fool. Don't go over your head. Don't like leverage everything, trading on margin and doing crazy things. If you know what you're doing and it's a decent investment, you might want to borrow some funds to make it possible. But you know, this is an area where a lot of people get caught. And by the way, there is no more place that schemes exist, like these schemes that get rich quick schemes, than in the church. 
it's really weird, but the people who think that they're going to prey on people, they love church groups. I don't know why. But in my years as a lawyer, we've prosecuted more than one or two people that they're like these scam artists and they love churches because they go to churches, they pretend they're a Christian, they tell you about these great ways to make money in the kingdom and they tell you, oh, it's blessed because the Lord is blessing it, you know, and the guy's just ripping everybody off. But they think that Christians are gullible somehow. Maybe we are. Or maybe we're greedy. So we're quick to believe anything that has money attached to it. Business credit. Of course, if you're operating a business, you learn how to use and borrow money to do certain things and to go through growth expansions. Maybe those are permissible. Hopefully your end goal is to make enough money to give it right back into the kingdom. Here's some bad debt. Credit cards, worst kind of debt there is. You want to get into bondage? Credit cards. Uh, hold on a second. Yeah. Credit. So you get, so you get a better loan for your Is that the American dream talking or God talking, by the way? God's telling us. Apparently, hold on. This just in. This just in. God is telling us you need at least one credit card to live in America. Okay. But... The answer to credit, by the way, what is good credit in America? Do you know what good credit in America is? Your ability to borrow huge amounts of money and make the minimum payment. That's what good credit is. Good credit is the more you borrow, the more cards you have, the better credit you'll have, which is just saying that they're going to loan you more because you're a sucker. You know, you're going to end up paying more. Now, I agree that when it comes to having your mortgage, that's probably good that you have a good payment history. Yeah. And by the way, don't hear me as saying that if you have a credit card, you're sinning. <laughs> All right. It's the use of what you do with your money that matters. All right, because somebody in here could turn around and say, well, I have a zero interest credit card and I'm going to borrow the money and invest it. I'm like, well, if that's, I'm not going to say that's wrong. You know what? If you think that that will work for the kingdom somehow and you can make some money doing that and you're going to pay off the credit card before it changes interest rates, I'm not going to tell you that's wrong. Right, but, but, but you know, every, I think everybody recognizes that presumption in America doesn't work. Nobody does it. I mean, few people do it. I know a few disciplined people that do it. Most people fall into the temptation of like, letting it slide. And, that, and, and by the way, paying a little bit of interest, not the end of the world, but in a second, you're going to see how much interest we're going to pay. Angela? The opposite is renting, and that's totally a sin. Because your money every month, and you don't have anything to prove to it. You know what? I, I think that I agree with your sentiment because I don't like renting for the fact that it's losing money. But let me give you the, the, the place where I think a lot of people miss about this. In a rental situation, you generally are not paying for a lot of stuff. For example, you're not paying the full price of the mortgage, you're not paying the property taxes, you're not paying a lot of stuff, so you can actually live in the same house for much cheaper and have the mobility. Now, those words are hard to come out of my mouth because I hate the idea of throwing money into rent. All right, so I'm not, I'm not advocating renting. Some books, in fairness, some Christian books do advocate renting. To me, that's, that's a little extreme. But, I, but I, want, I want to throw out the idea that it's not that black and white. I don't think you could ever say that renting is a sin because God calls some people to, be, to live simply and move. I think there are people who are going to be called to rent their whole life because God wants them to move every second that he wants them to move. I believe there's also people who are going to buy homes and they're going to borrow great amounts of money and they're going to make great amounts of money and they're going to give it away at the end of their life. Last week I talked about an example where a ministry that I know borrows money invest in buying a house and the people who run the ministry fix up the house sell it and that's how they make money to distribute the jesus film that ministry regularly borrows money 
or takes money out of its own thing to buy homes on mortgages while they fix them up and sell them and take the appreciation and fund more Jesus videos. I can never tell you that it's black and white or that debt is always wrong in every case. That's why there's permissible debt and that's why there's bad debt. One of, one of the things I think you have to do in this topic is we really almost have to pray and just say, Lord, bring us what your truth is and not what we've been hearing our entire life. And I'm not saying that any person in here is hearing one or the other all the time. But even as I approach this topic and study it, there are times where I'm like, that advice can't be right. When I was listening to the rental advice, like you should rent and not own a home, I'm like, that advice is so nutty, it can't be right because you're missing out on the appreciation. But appreciation is not the only thing there is in the kingdom. The ability to get up and move and do what God wants you to do is way more important than appreciation. If he wants to provide money, he's going to provide it. If he wants to fund something, the money will show up. God does not need us to make money for him. Being in God's will, though, is the more important part. How you figure that out, don't ask me. I mean, I'm, not, I'm the worst person probably picking it up, but the point still is you can't make a blanket statement like it's always wrong to do this one or this one. Deferred payments, high interest borrowing, interest only, all you're doing in those kinds of debt is saying, I'm going to consume today and I'm going to pay an enormous cost later. Let me show you why. Go to the next slide. Take a look at this, all right? If you owe $5,000 on your credit card, all right? Take this just as example and you decide to pay off your credit card. If you paid it off at $100 a month, this is how long it would take you to pay that off. It would take you six years. That's if you're adding nothing new. If you just increase that to $200 a month, look how much faster you would pay off your card. Look how much less interest you would actually pay so that you can be debt-free. Why do I want you debt-free? So if God says move, you can move. So if God says, hey, I want you to give $100 a month to Africa, you can do it instead of saying, but I gotta give $100 a month to MasterCard. Or 200. Imagine what you could do with 200. You could invest the 100, make the 7.5 million that I'm telling you about, take the other 100, and give that today for the people who need it today, right now. And with just those $200, you would make a huge impact instead of paying off the credit card for six years and seven months. The reason I use 5,000, by the way, is because that's kind of the average that a person in their 20s has on their credit cards. What I started with, by the time I was in my 30s, it was like 25,000 because I was spending more than I was paying it down. That's kind of the next slide. You know, if you've got 5,000 in debt and you start like 200 additional, you start accumulating, you know? So even if you're paying off more than you actually accumulate, it's still gonna take you a long time to do it. All I'm saying is paying a lot of interest, throwing money down the drain is pretty sinful, just like your comment about rent. Credit card companies love you people. People in their early 20s that they can get addicted to a credit card will yield them millions of dollars on a few thousand dollars of debt. Because what happens is we keep paying the interest our whole life, we keep paying the interest. Meanwhile, they're taking the interest and investing it. Just like my example about how much money you could make for Africa, they know that math. They know how much money they can make on you in 40 years. You pay $350 every month to pay off the credit card, they're investing it in the stock market at 12%. That number is huge. By the time you pay off your $5,000 credit card and a few others that you've incurred over your lifetime, they've probably made $20 million off of just the money you're paying them. They love young people. Because the earlier you start, the more the time value of money goes. If they're taking $350 a month and investing that at 12% for 45 years, that number is huge. But we were always thinking, but it's only like a $5,000 credit card. I'm paying it off as fast as I can. It just seems to keep creeping up back up to five for some reason. And that's waste. I think we could do better with that money ourselves. We could be investing so we can give it away instead of giving it to the credit card companies. My plea is that we can get out of debt. I'm not good at it. I've only recently discovered how to do it, but I'm going to at least tell you what I discovered. And 
These are also from this great book, by the way. If you want to pick up this book, it's like an easy read, not like most of the ones we read for college group. But this one's called Your Money Counts by Howard Dayton. It's actually good. It's practical. Here's some things you can do to get out of debt. Pay off small debt so you can take the money that you're going to the small debt and start accumulating it to pay off bigger debt. Pay off high interest debt. While you're saving up to pay off debt, use an interest generating account like a money market fund or something that's paying interest so you can keep putting money in there and then taking money out to make your payments. Anything will help. And of course, the most important thing is to make extra principal payments. Like, don't just pay interest. If you just keep paying interest, you'll pay the rest of your life. It'll never end because you're just making enough to pay the interest. The numbers, by the way, if you get a credit card statement, it says like, here, make your minimum payment. That's like the ticket to bondage. Make the minimum payment. It's always less than what they really need from you to pay off the interest. So you're just cycling. You're getting deeper and deeper into debt, making the minimum payment. Minimum payment sounds good to us. Like, hey, I owe $7,000 and the minimum payment is like 49 bucks. I can afford it. And you'll be just digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And meanwhile, while we're supposed to be called to build the kingdom that's part on earth now, like taking care of our brothers and sisters and doing things, we're paying the credit card companies. Next slide. I knew this was going to be a popular talk. Look at this. Take an average home mortgage, $450,000 mortgage, which you guys know if you live anywhere in this area, that's like a regular house. 6.25% interest rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage. This is where the math comes in. Some of you guys are like, math, and the rest of you are like, give me the scriptures. But just follow me for a second. If you're going to go buy this house today at 625 on a 30-year fixed mortgage, your monthly payment with insurance and everything else would be $2,700 a month. Okay? That's how much you would pay. It would take you 30 years to pay it off, and by the time you're done paying off that $450,000 house, it would cost you $997,000 to pay it off. That's how much interest you pay the mortgage companies over 30 years. It's double the cost of the house plus extra. Now, we've heard that. We know that we're borrowing money. The fact is none of us have $450,000 to just plump it down in cash, so that's okay. That's why I said maybe home mortgage interest is permissible. I mean, we need to live somewhere. It is an appreciating asset, especially in California, and we can get by with this. It's a responsible thing, maybe, to take on some debt to house your family. But look at this. If you were able to get away from your credit card debts, for example, and just throw in an extra $300 a month into the principal payment, you would pay off the house in 23 years. You would only pay $852,000. You would save $144,000 how much you would save. That's a lot of money to save. You could retire seven years earlier probably just by paying off your house earlier and you would save all that extra money. The point I'm trying to make is that getting out of debt in any way possible, even under permissible debt, will help you. The person that I know that funds the Jesus Project by remodeling houses and selling them. That's what he did. They paid off their homes as fast as they could. They have no debt. They put their kids through college as fast as they could, paid off that debt as fast as possible, and now live on a very decent income, very low. But the whole time their goal is to give as much away as possible. And the only reason they're able to do that is they don't have to worry about credit cards, home mortgage. They're done with it. One more example, just to show you the difference. Next slide. This time, just move the number to $500 a month, which is the average what of an average person pays on credit cards each month trying to get out of debt. Imagine if you were out and you had an extra 500 bucks sitting around. And I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about in your, in your home buying years. You would move that mortgage down and save $200,000 and pay it off in 20 years, which is shaving off a whole 10 years on a 30-year mortgage. And you'd be done. You'd own the house. God told you to sell it and give it away to charity, you'd do it. No mortgage. 
If God told you to stay there and live on a very little income, you could. Because it's all done. I can't stand here and tell you that you should never be in debt because I've been in debt my whole life. I can't stand here and tell you that every debt is wrong and that certain ones are always right because that's wrong too. I told you at the beginning that the topic of money in the Bible is very multidimensional. Jesus tells one person, you didn't invest enough, and tells another person to give it all away. He tells one person that he's a fool for building up barns and storing everything, and then he looks at the other person and says, you know, I need you to invest better with that. I need you to save better. Like, it depends on the person. It depends on their heart. It depends on who their God is. Is your God money, or is it the Lord? And if it's the Lord, you're on a wild ride because you don't know what he's going to ask of you. Some of us, he's going to ask that we make as much money as we can to fund people in their lives. Others of us, he's going to ask that we live a life of simplicity and we live on little as possible and in the maximum mobility because he's destined us to move around this planet to do things for other people. And then there's the people that are in the middle that God is saying, I haven't called you to this and I haven't called you to this, but I still have called you to be wise with your money. And I still have called you to be wise stewards and build for the kingdom. Eric's right, if the kingdom is coming and the kind of currency that we use in the kingdom is not dollars, then you should be trading your dollars for the kind of currency we have in heaven. And Jesus tells us that's where you store your treasure, store it in heaven, where it won't get destroyed, because the money on earth, the green dollars that we have in our pockets, they're not going to last. We should be trading them in as fast as possible. How? Well, by taking the money we have here and giving it for purposes that are for the kingdom. All right, one other thing. Go to the next slide. Getting out of debt means you have to budget. This is a bad word budgeting. But I want to tell you that everything I'm saying is not out of my mouth, it comes out of the Bible. You know, when Jesus talks about the cost of following me, he uses these words. They're very financial words. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. We read those words when people say, count the cost of discipleship. Make sure you have what it takes before you say you're going to follow the Lord. But he's saying the same words in a financial context to us. If you're one of those people who thinks you're going to follow the Lord by solving African debt relief problems or poverty or medicine, if you believe you're one of those people who's called to do something in this world for God, count the cost. If you say, I'm going to do such and such and I'm going to somehow do this, do you actually have the money in your bank account to back it up? Are you living your life in a way that actually maximizes the amount of money you have for the kingdom? Are you spending wildly on credit cards? Are you materialistic? Are you living unwisely? Or are you actually doing what it takes to follow what God has called you to do? How do you know? Well, I'm going to tell you that budgeting is the way you figure it out. You've got to know where you're at at any point. Budgeting is like, like, like a map. You've got to figure out where on the map you are and where you want to go. If you don't know how much you spend, you could be spending so much money you have no idea. If you want to find that extra 100 bucks a month to get out of debt faster by going from $100 on your credit cards to $200, you've got to figure out where can I cut. Well, if I ask you where can you cut and you go, I don't even know where I spend, then you can't do it. It's too hard. You guys want to find the fastest way to save money for the kingdom of God, just stop going to Starbucks and pretending that you're drinking coffee when we all know that the only reason you're there is to buy this big white drink with cream on the top that's like a shake. It's a milkshake, but you guys call it a coffee 
so it's okay. And then you buy like this big hunk of chocolate cake wrapped in a piece of paper. You go, that's a muffin. So now I got a coffee and a muffin that's like $7.95. And I see these people every day at 10.30 like slaves going to Starbucks. You know, they come right out at like 5 million calories in this drink they're drinking. Plus this huge piece of chocolate cake. I mean, if you walked up to somebody and go, are you eating chocolate cake? They're like, no, I'm eating a muffin. Is that a chocolate cookie? No, it's a scone. Like, give me a break. And it's so overpriced, all right? Now, maybe it's because I hate coffee, but that, there's something called, on financial circles, called the latte principle. And what this is, is a serious thing. The latte principle says this. When they teach you how to save money, which will be next week's talk, they tell people, if you could save 3 to $4 a day, this is what it'll do over your life. And everybody in the audience goes, where would I cut 3 to $4 a day? I'm like totally broke. And the place where you cut is, what are you doing drinking a $4 cup of coffee? If I could show you how much you'd save, but hang on till next week. That was just a little bit of the preview tirade on Starbucks. That's why I could never say to you that eating out is a sin, because to some people, it's their ministry. To most of us, it's debauchery. <laughs> And it's laziness, or it's just because we love food, or because we're just a fast food nation, or because, because we've just become accustomed to whatever it is, the flavorings they put in that food, that normal home food isn't good enough. Okay, after you don't go to Starbucks, here's how to budget. Number one, start where you are today. What that means is write down everything you spend money on. Now, this is not easy to start, but I gotta tell you something. This is a, a small digression into a personal story. I used to budget when I was in law school because I had to. I mean, I was on a very tight budget and I used to budget every penny so know where it was. And I tried for years and years to budget and I was trying to make it for me and this person I was dating at the time, we were trying to make our lives on a budget. And the day that we broke up, I was so mad that I'd spent four years trying to make this budget so we could both work and then she just walked out on the whole thing. I remember just, I was so angry and I was like entering my <laughs> receipts into the computer and I just looked at the thing and I'm like, <sighs> And I remember just back then there was DOS still. I dropped into DOS and I just went erase star dot star. Like just deleted the whole directory. I erased the program, not just the data, the program. I erased the thing, wiped the hard drive clean. I was so mad. And for the next six years after that, I lived without a budget. I was free. I was so free. I spent money. I didn't even know if I had it or not. I was just spending money left and right. I was a young attorney. I was making all sorts of money. I was spending like there was no tomorrow. And it just kept going. And people would ask me like, do you have any money? Like, I have no idea. Put it on a card, put it on this, put it on that. I have no idea what I'm spending, where it's going. After I came back from one of my mission trips, I was really touched by God to start saving money for Russia. And I didn't even know where or how to do it. And I had a personal assistant. She started organizing all my bills. And the way she did it was she took all my years of bank statements and started inputting them into the computer. <laughs> and then she printed out this report. And I looked at it and I was like, I had spent so much money on things I didn't even know where they were, what they were. I mean, the, the amount of money I spent on food in a given year was astronomical. I mean, if I told you I spent $20,000 on going out, it was something like that in a year. It was all on credit cards and bank statements. I didn't know what I was doing, but the first step was to figure out where I was. I was spending hundreds of dollars on dry cleaning and personal services and the maid that came. I was just doing what I didn't know. I didn't care. I was so mad, but it was like time God was saying, grow up. Stop living like a rich young ruler. 
what's going on with your finances? And this person came into my life and showed me where I was spending money. I was really shocked. And that's where God touched me and said, start budgeting. The first step you may shock yourself is figure out today where your money's going. Put it in the categories. Step two, figure out where you want it to be. Look at the categories and say, can I cut this down? Can I cut this down? How much do I need to save every month? Maybe it's just $3 a day by not doing the latte thing. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's I need to pay off some debt because I'm paying this much in interest. I had $25,000 in credit cards and my interest every month, I was paying like $1,500 just to pay off the interest. Then record every expenditure on a going forward basis once you figure it out and keep analyzing your budget. Look at your expenses versus what your budget is and keep looking at it every month. Did I meet it? Am I close? Am I still spending too much? When my wife and I got married, I was still spending too much on food. We were going out to eat all the time. We've managed to bring our food budget down because she keeps reminding me every time we're about to go somewhere, is it going to be expensive? Like, let's talk now before we go what we're going to order. Like, oh, that's so not me. I want to go and be like, let's have five of those and seven of these and bring some for them. And she's like, let's just have two things. And that's so hard for me because I'm a person of excess and I love excess and I love waste and that's sinful. I don't mind having too much. I just don't want to have not enough. But she's teaching me how to live on a budget that says, hey, you got to bring it down. We can buy more groceries. We can do things like groceries. When I was on my own, if you opened my fridge, what would you find in there? Drinks. That's it. Just drinks. Four shelves of drinks of every kind. Even the ones I didn't want just because they look cool. And everything else was eating out. Then you revise your budget. Why do you revise it? Because it's a discipline where you're trying to bring the number down. When I first started budgeting, I found out I was spending $1,000 a month on food going out, $1,000 a month. Today, I looked at my budget and it's down somewhere to three to $400. How do we do that? Because we wrote down the honest number, we kept track of every dollar we spent on food, and every month we tried to make the number go down. Now, there's some things you can't get away from. I have a mortgage, I pay it. We have a cable bill, we have a water bill, we have this bill, we have that bill. We have to pay those things, those are in the budget. But there are some things that you can cut down on. And there are other things that you should see going up, like the tithing, like the charity, like the giving. You should see that number moving up. Even if it starts at only $5 a month, make it go to 10, make it go to 15, cut something else out and make that number go up. That's how you do a budget. It's not an easy discipline. For me, oh, I hated it. But now there's something kind of perversely fun about it for me because I get to go to the computer and see that, you know what? The numbers are going the right way. We are saving more money every month. We have paid off debt. We had so much debt when we, even when we first got married two years ago, we've been working on it and just chiseling away at it to make every single debt come down. And every time I don't have to pay for a credit card, that's just more money that I can pay off the next one. And eventually that's more money that I can pay to support the missionaries that we support every month without feeling the pinch, without saying, no, we don't have enough money to support one more person. If God's calling us to support one more person, we're like, bring them on because we know we're going to work them into the budget. Now, I'm not the model. I'm not trying to brag to you about how to do it. I'm somebody, it took me 35 years to figure it out. That's not good. I'm 10 years behind the curve. If I had done this at 25, the amount of money I would have generated for the kingdom by doing it right would be way bigger. But better late than never. I'm sorry that we talked about math so much tonight. I'm sorry that we talked so much about numbers. And maybe some of it hits close to home about things that you've always been taught. But the most important thing I want you to realize is why we're doing this. I'm not teaching a debt reduction seminar. You guys want to give to the kingdom. 
you guys want to make an impact in the kingdom, do what nobody who's older than you is able to do. You've got to start now. I mean, it took me so much time to recover. You don't want to waste 10 years recovering. What you want to do is you want to say, I want to make a commitment now to realize that it all belongs to God. It's under his control. He's going to provide for me, but he's given me dominion over some of this stuff. And here's what I'm going to do with it. So that when he comes back and says, tell me what you did with my money, he can say, and you can hear, good and faithful servant, you did very well with my money. Not, hey, John, I don't know what you're doing with all those lunches out and everything like that, but that was wacky while people were dying in other countries. And I'm still working on that because I'm not there yet. I'm not given as much as I need to be giving because I'm still spending too much and I'm still in too much debt. Obviously, I've been a person who loves entertainment, loves going out and loves doing stuff. And I don't believe we should cut those things out 100%. That's my personal belief. I believe that God gives us a certain bounty that we get out of what we also plant and harvest on this earth. And I believe that God enjoys us enjoying ourselves. That if we take a view of God, that is all things that are in any way joyful to us personally on earth are sinful, then we've missed God totally. Okay? My concept of God had to grow a little bit to encompass that. To understand that God, if he sees us running through the field and enjoying ourselves, he's like, that's my creation. I love what you're doing. That's so great. God says, who among you, if your, father, if your son asks you for something, would not give him a good thing? How much more would your father in heaven give you good things, right? But notice that while he enjoys us enjoying those things, and we would enjoy having our kid have this one thing, that's not the equivalent of saying my kid can have anything they want. In fact, the whole toy store. I think at that point you deviate from the joy and go more into maybe you should be giving toys away to other kids so they can enjoy the same joy your son has. And more than that, when God was reminding us about how much more would your father in heaven give you good gifts, he was reminding us that he's the provider, that he is the one who ultimately provides, that, that a heavenly father is much more perfect than an earthly father. An earthly father wants to give good gifts, but they so often fail. Whereas the heavenly father is perfect and he is the ultimate provider. I guess what I would say to you as young people is the balance has tipped way too far to the American dream and we don't remember God's way. This topic in scripture is so multidimensional you can never take an extreme view one way or another. I mean, this is like, like a Rubik's Cube. When there's 2,300 verses in scripture on money and all of them go different directions, God is trying to tell us this is a complex matter. It's not as simple as just do this or do this. It's the tension that's involved in human heart. Where is your heart? What is it asking for? What is it really saying? And that's how you work that cube to figure out what the right answer is, is you wrestle with your heart and you say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Next week, next slide, just so you guys can see where we're going. Next week, we're going to talk about savings and investment. Equally important to getting out of debt and learning how to budget is to actually put money aside and to invest it so it grows, so that in the following week, we could talk about how to give it away but you gotta have something to give and have a strategy for giving. And most of that is gonna be about savings. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, I'm humbled that you've called the people in this room to just wrestle with this topic. And I'm humbled, not lightly, but just by the fact that this is not something that we wanna deal with. I know inside on a Sunday night, when we start thinking about the week that lies ahead, there's a million things that are on our mind that we'd rather be doing. And to actually take time out rather than just refresh ourselves and start with the week, but to actually wrestle through and struggle with your word in this way. Lord, I just thank you that you have called us to do that and that you've given us the wisdom and that your Holy Spirit has spoken through all the people who spoke tonight to show us the different dynamics of this topic. 
Lord, let's not mince words. We live in a nation that's riddled, just riddled with debt. Where debt is a way of life. Debt is encouraged at every corner, and we've bought into it, Lord. And in that regard, just buying into the mentality of this world and not yours, we've sinned. Lord, I ask that we would turn away from that, that you would speak to our hearts and tell us where it's permissible and where you would rather us stay away from debt. Lord, that if we're able to manage our finances and give our wealth to the kingdom, that's the ultimate goal. How we get there, Lord, I pray that you work with us. Lord, I ask for your intervention tonight because I know that if I were to tell all these people to go out and budget their lives, it would be nearly impossible for us to find the time this week to do that. It would be nearly impossible for us to find the will to actually do it. But Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit is the one that's doing the prompting, not me. I ask that your Holy Spirit be the one that stays upon our heart this week and remind us of this topic as we set about a lifelong commitment to getting out of debt and increasing the money that we give to your kingdom. I pray that the wisdom, Lord, of Solomon, I pray the wisdom of Paul, and Lord, even your own words would ring true through us this week. And that when we come back, we would come back with a heart ready to understand what to do now that we've freed ourselves from debt, how to start building money for the kingdom. And Lord, I pray overall for our project for the invisible children. We cannot pat ourselves on the back or do this thing lightly that we're doing something on our own. I pray, Lord, at every step that it is you who is pushing us forward to do this and that you will bless and multiply all the loaves and fishes that are laid out in this project. Thank you, Lord, for what we are doing here. Supernaturally, Lord, expand our understanding and our wisdom. We do not have the power to do it on our own. In your precious name we pray. Amen.